first is uh, from Psalm 103, and then from Romans chapter 6, and then we'll read the answers together on page 35 in the back of our blue hymnal. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 13. Thirteen through nineteen. Let's hear from God's holy word, thinking about the the blessing of his covenant from one generation to the next. Verses thirteen through nineteen, Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant And remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And then Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 5. Romans 6, verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word endures forever. Amen. Lord's Day 27, question 72. Let's read these answers together. Speaking of baptism, does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only Jesus Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ wash away our sins just as water washes away dirt from our bodies. But more important, he wants to assure us 
by this divine pledge and sign that the washing away of our sins spiritually is as real as physical washing with water. Should infants, too, be baptized? Yes, infants, as well as adults, are in God's covenant and are his people. They, no less than adults, are promised the forgiveness of sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who produces faith. Therefore, by baptism, the mark of the covenant, infants should be received into the Christian church and should be distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. Something that is a marking of our highly individualized age is the sense that truth can sort of change from one person to the next. But certainly we need to to recognize and to know and indeed to stand upon the conviction as biblical Christians that truth is true whether I believe it or not. Truth is true whether I believe it or not. Perhaps related to that is that many things of our life and indeed perhaps the most important things of our lives are not things that are chosen. They're not things that are products of our own choice. Things like our family, uh, things like the community into which we are born, the community in which we are raised, things like our own reception of the saving grace of God. Ultimately, that is God's choice. It comes down to God's sovereign will and not our own. Tonight, we consider the biblical doctrine of infant baptism. Covenant child, our covenant children and the baptism that they receive. My story, if you may excuse the phrase, is one of uh, baptism conversion. I grew up a Baptist, became convinced over time that the historic practice of infant baptism was right and true to the scriptures. And uh, with that in mind, I would like to consider this doctrine of infant baptism from a couple of angles that are not always considered. And that would be the kindness of God's covenant, that really it is, a, it is a blessing of God's kindness, and also the negative aspect of the sign of baptism, which is that there's a, there's a curse aspect to the sign of baptism, not just blessing, but also curse as well, and particularly tied to the curse of death. I am overjoyed really to be in a context that honors uh, the, the covenant of God's people, the covenantal nature of God's relationship with his people. I love the, the idea of nurturing our children uh, within this context to bring about a full and mature faith. I think it honors uh, the scriptures. And so before we look at it from a couple of those different angles, I want to just remind ourselves of the basic structure of covenant theology. The covenant theology is really the primary way that we think about God relating to his 
people. He relates to us through covenant, through a covenant. Covenants are things that we don't talk about much anymore. They used to be really the glue of society, particularly in the ancient Near East, the Old Testament and uh, biblical context. It's what really held uh, all of human life together. It was ways that people could work mutually, work together. It was also uh, a way that a ruler could rule over his people and stipulate the kinds of things that he expected from his people. So that's really the two kinds of covenants, uh, two peers or groups of equals coming together and, and forming a covenant, or a king and his servant. Of course, when we're talking about God's covenant with us, we're talking about that second type, right? This is a king and his servants. When a king imposes a covenant agreement upon his servants or perhaps upon a people group whom he had just conquered, there really was no choice involved in the matter. And at creation, uh, human beings didn't really have a choice, right? Uh, Adam and Eve were not consulted whether or not they wanted to be created, which wouldn't even really make sense. But God did not ask them. He did it because he wanted to. Not only did God come and give human beings a law and commandments, but our very creation itself is covenantal. Uh, A covenant relation to God is inherent in our nature. Because of how and why God created us, we could not but have been in covenant with him. We were created as his image bearers, to serve and to glorify him. And in those things alone, we already see the markings of a covenant relationship. Of course, after the fall, uh, the covenantal relationship with God is fractured. And God started to, from that point on, particularly relate to a specific line of people on the earth. The godly line of Seth was, in a sense, the covenant line of God-fearers and God-worshippers. But then, of course, it's not until Abram or Abraham, who is in the line of Seth and in the line of Noah and, and Noah's son Shem, that we see the explicit flowering or budding of the idea of a covenant, a covenant of grace, a covenant in which God relates to his people through the forgiveness of sins. He comes to sinful people, and relates to them on the basis of grace. In the, in the Garden of Eden, we call that a covenant of works or a covenant of life. God related to his people on the basis of their obedience. And that's why at the moment of Adam and Eve's disobedience, that relationship is fractured. So in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, God has a series of interactions with Abraham. He promises him several things, a son, numerous descendants, land, a kingdom, a kingdom that would never fall. And in Genesis 17, he gives to Abraham a sign, a sign of the covenant. And that, of course, is circumcision. This sign, of course, was to be administered To Abraham and to all of his male descendants, every male member of Abraham's household. It was a sign of all of God's promises that he had made to him. A sign of the gospel promises, as Galatians 3 tells us. That there is the gospel that was being preached to Abraham through these covenant promises. It was a sacred bond 
between God and Abraham. But it was a sacred bond between God and the children of Abraham as well, and their children, and their children after that. It was a covenant blessing that went from generation to generation. It was summarized in the biblical promise, I will be God to you and to your children. And this is the basic structure of how God relates to his people on the earth. He relates to those who honor him, who fear him, who believe him and trust in him and their children. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And if you understand that basic structure, that basic structure of covenant theology, you understand why it is then that the sign as of God's gospel promise, his covenant promise, as it goes from circumcision to baptism, that the natural movement of that is that our children, too, receive that covenant sign. Just as circumcision reminds Israel that the redeemer of the whole earth would come from them, would come from their line, uh, that a nation greater than all other nations would emerge through them, So baptism reminds us that it is in Christ that all of these promises are fulfilled. It is in Christ that uh, all of the earth can be blessed by this Savior. Baptism then summons us to faith. It summons us to faith. It brings us to the gospel. It proclaims the gospel to us. Just as circumcision was a proclamation of God's gospel promise to our spiritual fathers. God is still God to us and to our children. Now, this is not a sign that uh, has in it, as we affirm in the first question and answer of tonight's Lord's Day lesson, it's not a sign that somehow gives us carte blanche freedom, right? As if someone receives the sign of baptism, all of a sudden they can go out and live in whatever way that they want and disregard everything that God says in his word. Human beings can still bring upon themselves the curses of God's word and the curses of his covenant. To those who do not fear God, to those who do not believe his word, uh, it is not as if the blessings of the covenant continue to flow through them. You'd see this in the Old Testament. If anyone rebelled against God's law, if anyone rebelled against all of the things God had said, they were to be removed from the nation of Israel, cast out, cast out from God's people. In the New Testament, those who show themselves to be unbelievers are to be excommunicated from the church. And those who maybe were once part of the church but no no longer are, their children are not to receive the sign of baptism as they are brought into the world. But to all who fear God, who trust his word, who look to Christ as their savior, they are given this special covenant promise that God is God to them and to their children. This is not, of course, an absolute guarantee that all of our children will grow up into saving faith, but it is a comfort. There's a comfort of the covenant, and it's one of God's primary ways of advancing his kingdom. You read the scriptures, and especially you read in the New Testament epistles, what you see, one of the primary ways that God grows and advances his kingdom is by our children being raised in the fear of God the Lord. And so the first main idea tonight is that the covenant of grace is is an expression of the kindness of God. 
The covenant of grace, which goes from generation to generation, is an expression of the kindness of God. Psalm 103, a beautiful passage of scripture, and uh, we know it well. And for just a few verses, though, it kind of goes into somewhat of an Ecclesiastes mode. And that was the passage that we read tonight. It speaks of the futility of life. Our days are like grass. We pass away as quickly as we show up. I was thinking about this this past week as I started writing 2020 on uh, different things, different documents or checks or whatever. And I was thinking about how much a reminder that is of the futility of life. Since Jesus has been around really since the time of Christ, this is the year of our Lord, 2020, it's been over 2,000 years. And all of us are just a tiny blip on that radar. And I kept thinking of that as I kept writing the year down, 2020. What a reminder of uh, the futility of life. I was reminded of that this afternoon. Perhaps some of you had heard the great basketball player Kobe Bryant, who is, was in his early 40s, died earlier this morning. Shocking news uh, to so many. Reminds us of the futility of life. We realize that this life springs up. That its glory is like the flower of grass. Right? It, it buds in the day and uh, is dying by night. We are dust. And to dust we are, and to dust we will return. And when Psalm 103 says that, we may expect to find an affirmation of God's eternality, right? Uh, You, O man, are like dust. You, O man, live lives that are futile, and they're microscopic blips on the scope of history. Uh, But we do not read that it is God who is everlasting, though that is true, and certainly that could have been what we find there. What we find is a proclamation that God's covenant love and his covenant kindness is everlasting. It's God's love that is from everlasting to everlasting, and his love is upon those who fear him, to those who keep his covenant, which is to say to those uh, who trust in how God says to be found right before him. We keep covenant with God by first and foremost trusting his word, believing his word, having faith in Christ, and trusting in the forgiveness of sins through his name. Life in the covenant produces greater obedience, certainly, but our obedience is never the ground of our acceptance before God. Our obedience is never the ground of God's accepting us. We are in a covenant of grace that uh, we enter through God's grace in Christ. Returning to this idea of God's love, the word is covenant faithfulness. God's covenant faithfulness is from everlasting to everlasting. Some translations call it compassion or mercy or uh, my own beloved New American Standard Bible translates it loving kindness. Maybe some of you have seen that before. The translators didn't know what to do so they took two words and just smashed them together like the Apostle Paul sometimes does if you uh, read your Greek New Testament. God's loving kindness. And this is really one of the great truths and promises about how God relates to his people. That his covenant love, his covenant compassion, his loving kindness is from one generation to the next. Because if we know that life is futile, and we do, we never know what day will be our last. 
and we know that it's all going to end and that it's all, we're all going to return to dust. And we know that in between birth and death, we largely have sorrow and toil. Why would we bring new human beings into this world? Why would we do that? Of course, this is becoming more and more the conclusion of the godless in our age. We hear things like, it's immoral to have children because of the strain on our planet, or because of the world into which you will bring them, a world fraught with uncertainty, a world fraught with difficulty and struggle. What was God's command that he gave to human beings when he first created us? We read it in Genesis 2. Be fruitful and multiply. This is the charge that God has given to us as the human race. And consonant with that command, what he gives us is the comfort of his covenant love. Which we read in verse 17. The Lord's love is with those who fear him from everlasting to everlasting. And his righteousness with their children's children. Why should we as God's people be confident in having children? In a world that is futile, in a world where life is futile, where we are dust and to dust we shall return, why is it a great joy, why is it a great blessing that God's people have children? Because our children will be, will be born with the God of the universe the God of Scripture, as their God. Our children are born with God as their God. That's what covenant theology means. This is not an ironclad, as I mentioned before, not an ironclad case-by-case guarantee that each and every child born into the church and raised in the church will grow up into saving faith. It's not what it means. But it is a promise that God is with us that God is with us and our children and that he blesses his people who gives themselves who give themselves to the blessings of God's community the covenant community the word of God the preaching of the bible the means of grace the love and the fellowship of God's people through all of these things God promises to bless us one of the primary ways that he grows his church is through these covenant dealings it should not surprise us then that as we think about why so many children leave the church after they turn 18, as we look to the church and we find such a, a lower commitment these days to the means of grace, a moving away from the centrality of the preached word, these concrete means that God has given to us, it should not surprise us, right? If we fear God, we will revere his word. We will give ourselves to the study and the meditation of his word. And so the good news here is that God gives us his covenant as a wonderful blessing, as a way to assure us that it is good to have children and to raise them in the Lord. As God's people do this and give themselves to it, God promises to bless us and to be with us. It's a kindness of God. It's a kindness of God that our children are born with him as their God. Secondly, baptism is a sign of death and a reckoning. It's a sign of death and a reckoning. Baptism is fitting for us to do as people who take time to acknowledge that this life is not forever and this life is not ultimate. Romans 6 tells us that those of us who are in Christ 
have been baptized into his death. Here, Paul is clearly talking about more than water baptism, but he's not talking about less. He's talking about the connection between the sign and uh, the thing signified. What does baptism show us? It shows us all of the realities of what uh, being spiritually baptized uh, means. What does it mean to be placed inside of Christ by God's redeeming grace? What means our sins are washed away? It means that we are united to him. It means that we have God's name placed upon us and we are brought into his family. So true spiritual life is given by God It's wrought by the Spirit in our hearts through the gospel as God gives faith to us as his gift. But water baptism is a true signifier of all those things. And it's called God's divine pledge. And in a mysterious way, God allows one to connect to the other and he uses it to assure our hearts. We really are to take confidence and take stock in our water baptism. That we have been baptized and God gives that to us as a divine pledge of our Christianity, of our Christian faith. And so if Romans 6 has some reference to water baptism, we see that water baptism is connected to the idea of judgment and death. Baptized into the death of Christ. The death of Christ was a death uh, because of God's judgment. And of course death itself is a judgment. So we bring our covenant kids to the font of baptism. We think of it as a wonderful sign of giving them unto the Lord, and certainly it has that as well. But there are ways in which the sign of baptism signifies death to us. First, it's a sign of all deaths, of death and the curse. First Peter tells us that baptism is a sign like the flood, Noah's flood, where the whole earth was brought under the water of God's judgment. So in baptism, we're reminding ourselves that each and every human being will face the judgment of God. That's one of the things we remind ourselves of in baptism. Second, baptism not only signifies all deaths, it signifies chiefly, as Romans 6 says, Christ's death. As with the flood, God provides through his compassion, through his kindness, God provides a way of escape. A way to escape the waters of judgment. How do we escape it? We escape the waters of judgment through the judgment that Christ bore for us on the cross. Just like the ark of Noah, Jesus is our ark of salvation. He brings us through the waters of judgment into the blessing that awaits us on the other side. I say all of this because in baptism, when we bring our covenant children to baptism, we are doing so first because it is the kindness of God to include our children as part of his people. They're part of the people of God. They're being raised in the church. And also because we understand that baptism, in a sense, is a reckoning. It reminds us that death is coming. It reminds us that death awaits. And that the only way that we can escape death is through Christ's death. The only way that we can escape eternal death and condemnation is to be united to Jesus' death. We must be united to his death if we want to be united to his life. 
Baptism is a reminder that sin must be punished, that sin must be dealt with one way or another. The fact that we come under water in baptism, water is poured over us, we come underwater and emerge again, that's the sign of the gospel hope and the promise of Jesus Christ. We're born into all of these realities. It's true whether we want to believe it or not. Death comes for all. The Christian family is another reality that is true whether we believe it or not. We're born into the family into which we're born. We don't choose it. We don't choose our families. We ultimately don't choose our God. Our God chooses us. He beckons us to him. We don't choose our time of death. God appoints it for us. So when God gives to a church a new covenant child, we baptize that child as a way to proclaim the covenant goodness of God, as a way to proclaim uh, the gospel promise of God, a way to proclaim God's mercy in Christ, but also as a way to proclaim and to signify that all people will face a reckoning one day. And that's true whether we believe it or not. So God's people proclaim the end of life at the beginning of life. Because we have been enabled to think differently about death. Because of, because of God and because of his Christ. We think differently about the end of life. When you think about Psalm 90, when there's an untimely death, and I saw some people referencing Psalm 90 this afternoon. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What does it mean to be wise as God's people? To understand and to know that uh, we are to number our days because we don't know when it's all going to be over. We don't know when death will come for us. And so to be nurtured into the wisdom and the fear of the Lord... We do so that at the beginning of the life of our covenant children, we place upon them a sign that reminds all of us about the end of life. We proclaim the realities of the end of life at the beginning of life. And because of God's kindness, because of his covenant kindness, it is our great hope that these little children will be given the grace to flee for refuge in the safe place of Christ, that over time, spiritual life would be nurtured in him or her, in God's way, in God's time, and that they, in light of their mortality, in light of that knowledge and that wisdom into which we bring them, that life is not forever, they would seek refuge in the ark of Christ. They would seek refuge in the ark of Christ. Baptism signifies judgment and death. If you are not on the ark of salvation... The waters of baptism will one day be a sign of the judgment that awaits, just like it came as a flood for those in Noah's day. So it is the great kindness of God to give us this wonderful blessing. It is a means of his grace and a testament of his love for his people. But it also beckons us forward. It brings our attention forward to the last day. That death awaits all of us. But if we have taken refuge in Christ, if we have boarded the ark of salvation in Jesus Christ, if we trust in the work of his death, if we hope in him and in him alone, he will see us through. So as Christians, we signify the end of life right at its beginning. 
Because we, of all people, are those who can rejoice in the end of life. For it is a doorway to eternal life. And that is how God has transformed the way that we think about all of these things. So, the covenant of God is a wonderful kindness to us. And it is his great uh, grace and mercy that allows our children to be included uh, in his covenant people. And it also signifies to us the ultimate realities of life. It's a reckoning uh, that one day we will face death. Uh, But for all of those who have come to Christ as the ark of salvation, uh, they will escape eternal judgment and be with God forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for uh, your word and for this chance to gather around it. We ask that uh, we would heed all of these words and these promises and commands that we find in Scripture and that you would allow us to live in light of it. We thank you for your covenant kindness uh, that you give to us, that the confidence that we can have in in having and rearing and raising children. Uh, We pray that we would do that faithfully as a church to see your children raised in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord. We give it all to you and we ask your blessing upon it. In Christ's name, amen.